Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. Here we go with another podcast, and this week, Rob, Finance Minister Carol James announces some more changes to the speculation tax, which I guess is probably one of the more controversial taxes the government has brought in, would you say? Uh, Controversial, and and I would say messy. I mean, this is a tax that you you don't really see taxes come in. Uh, This was introduced in 2018 with a tiny little box in the budget that basically said, um, you know, we're going to go after the foreign owners who leave their properties vacant. And uh, since then, I, I call this like version four of the spec tax because yeah. it's been changed so many times. Uh, government initially tried to tell us that this was going to be a penalty on foreign owners. Right. Turned out it is actually a penalty on people who own multiple properties, including BC vacation cabin owners, which is yeah. something government specifically said would not be the case at the beginning. Then it was including a whole bunch of different areas in the province, including the Gulf Islands and different parts of the lower mainland, like uh, Harrison Hot Springs and... That ended up uh, getting clawed back because people were upset about the geographic areas. Then they had to change the rates because the Greens didn't like the rates and thought that it wasn't fair to penalize different Canadians depending on different provinces in which they lived. And so now we have another version of this tax, which is um, changed slightly after Carol James met with a bunch of mayors in September, which she is obligated to do annually under the spec tax. And she's basically... There's, there's a couple different things in here, but one of them is that um, it was a kind of a way for government to address some of the criticisms in communities like Belcara, where you have cabins that are accessed only by water and can't be rented. And the idea that you can exempt yourself from the speculation tax by renting your property for six months of the year doesn't work when you live in a cabin that's so remote that people can't access it. And a lot of those cabins were like vacation properties, and in some cases they were just small cabins that were built by hand right you know that people have had in their families for a long time and i i know that there was there were some people who were saying cheering the ndp on maybe part of the ndp base saying like this is great tax these people they're yeah. rich they own a vacation cabin Ta- yeah tax them i have no sympathy for you at all the problem is those people are not technically speculators no. I mean, they may be fortunate enough to have a vacation home. I'd like to have a vacation home. That'd be nice. But, but that do you, doesn't make you a speculator. Do you want to drag everyone who doesn't have a vacation home down? That's kind of... <laughs> the, the people who... The kind of... Like a wealth tax, really. Yeah. The people who prop the NDP up with those arguments are the people that the NDP should not be listening to. 
because they're going to vote NDP anyways. Yeah. And they are not the the voters that the New Democrats have to attract. So anyways, uh, the, the NDP could not see themselves to just give a community like Belcara an exemption because communities like Nanaimo, Langford, Kelowna, a whole bunch of other mayors want out of the speculation tax right. entirely. And Carol right. James. Langford. Yep, she doesn't want to show that the tax is kind of falling apart. So instead, they create this new exemption where if your property is only accessed by water and it's a certain distance away from the nearest public road, then you can be exempted from the spec. So that's, I guess, the way of splitting hairs from the government side. The other major exemption in this is for people who own second properties in buildings where you have a condo or an apartment under a strata council that bans you from renting. And the argument from these people was, how can we rent out our second condos if our strata corporation doesn't allow that? And the government's initial response was kind of mumblings about maybe bringing in a law that would ban strata corporations from banning rentals. And I talked to Carol James this week uh, about this, and that is now no longer on the table. So instead of doing that, the government has taken the exemption that was about to expire for people on the speculation tax if you can't rent your property because of a strata rule, and they've extended it until after the next election so that they don't have to deal with it. Because the next election, the next scheduled election might come earlier. We'll talk a little bit about that in the podcast today too, but the next election is still two years away. Right. right? So, so this would punt it down the road until beyond. So this puts this headache off, off of their... Right. You know, off their minds until after the election. So, I mean, it's not a huge number of properties, I don't think. I think there's some buildings where you have old strata rules like that. But it's an issue that the Democrats clearly couldn't figure out. And it is an example of the unintended consequences of the speculation tax that, for whatever reason, were not contemplated when the NDP brought this tax in in their very first budget, their first full budget, and have been trying to play catch up on ever since changing something here, tweaking something there, removing something there. It's the messiest tax I've ever seen because normally these things come into the budget. They're built, they're baked, they have all the rules. They've gone through treasury. They've gone through all the the fancy and very intelligent finance people who've built this tax policy because you want stability in your tax policy. And instead, this one was like jello on a wall. It was just kind of sliding down. (laughs) Pieces are falling off. It's not baked. It's half half baked. It's half baked. And let me get something straight on this though, because... The idea on this empty empty homes tax, because it's called the speculation and vacancy tax. Well, they the added the vacancy yeah, near the end. Yeah, they changed the yeah, name. Because it wasn't a speculation tax. That's right. That first they were calling it the speculation tax, and then they realized you're, you're hammering people who aren't speculators, and then they changed the name of it to the speculation and vacancy tax, okay? So it's also a tax on vacant properties. Right. All right. So if you own a condo and it's a second home, you're not living in the condo. And you're and you're letting and the condo is just sitting there empty. I guess is like a store of wealth. You would be hit with hit with this tax. And I guess the gov- the government's rationale on it was we want to incentivize you to rent the place out. Don't let don't just let it sit there empty. Rent it to someone. And I can sort of under I guess I can sort of understand that. But if you own a place in a strata building where you're not allowed to rent the place out. I don't see how they even like never mind just giving people a two-year extension why don't you just scrap that or like you said and you've done the definitive work on this on this tax so you've asked her and you just said something that jumped out at me the government had been speculating or suggesting well maybe maybe we'll bring in a law that makes it illegal for a strata corporation to bring in a rule like that 
that you can't have a rule that you can't rent out a place, right? So they were considering that. Mm-hmm. And now has she, has she definitely ruled it out that it's not going to happen for sure? Yeah, she said that's not on the table yeah. anymore. And when you talk to some of the condominium homeowners association groups, they tell you that if government was to ban um, you know, restrictions on rentals, it would actually have in some way an unintended effect to reduce um, the availability of of rental stock right now. And I'm not sure how I see that through, but hmm. they've been lobbying government quite hard on this point, saying, don't do this. It's not going to produce the result that you want. And I, I think what government's done instead is that they've extended this exemption. Uh, and the hope is that if you own a second condo in a building and there's a rental restriction and you're looking two years down the road at getting pounded by this tax, You'll maybe maybe you're either going to sell it or you're going to get on the old strata board there and change suddenly the change the rules okay. and then your building is opened up. But whatever the case, the Democrats don't seem to know how to do this. So they're just kind of letting it play out. I, I You know, I think we will see another version of the speculation tax next year. Be version remember, yeah, remember that the, the Green Party only gave its support to this tax on the condition that Carol James meet with mayors from the communities uh, every year and update the speculation tax. So every year she's yeah. got to go into these meetings and they all <laughs> complain about the tax and she says, okay, and then the government has to try and save face in making slight tweaks here and there. So in some ways, this is going to be an ever-evolving tax that never changes. It is immensely popular, I think, in the same way that the previous liberal government's foreign Foreign buyers tax was popular. But if you ask the government or Carol James, can you provide us a single statistic to show that any home has actually been put into the rental market because of this or housing prices and housing availability has been improved because of this the answer is no because government can't show you that and its housing policies are all too intertwined we don't know if this tax the foreign buyers tax um the vancouver's empty homes tax ottawa's stress tests on mortgages we don't know what is driving the changes in the market so the the ndp are unable to say hey, the speculation tax is a success because it's increased rental stock 10% and it's lowered house prices 5%. Well, we may never get to that point. And in that sense, the tax is more about the optics of making people feel good that you're going after people who've done well enough to get a second home or some wealthy foreigner who leaves it vacant than it is about actually achieving anything real. So, but that's politics for you. Yeah. Speaking of politics, here is an issue that has only recently ended up in the political arena, but my goodness, it should have been a long time ago. The forestry strike on Vancouver Island, mid to north Vancouver Island, involving around 3,000 United Steelworkers employees and Western Forest Products, which has a number of mills and timberland locations in in communities like Port McNeil and Port Alice and, uh, uh, you know, what we would call, I think, traditional forestry-dependent rural communities here on the island. And this strike has been going on for some time. It didn't catch the attention, I think, of of a lot of people outside of those communities until a video of Transportation Minister Claire Trevenis surfaced at a public meeting just the other week, uh, a town hall with very angry, passionate, articulate, well-spoken Um, contractors and forestry related workers who grilled her for the NDP government's unwillingness to get involved in helping solve this dispute and for piling on with forestry policies 
that they say are making the situation worse. Stumpage issues, government yeah. not willing to reduce stumpage, government adding fees for raw log exports, government adding fees if companies don't bring wood waste out of the forest, government getting vetoes over whether companies can exchange their crown timber licenses, government launching a giant all-encompassing coastal revitalization review of forestry that is so nebulous no one knows what it means but continues on. And the argument from these these uh, people in this room to Claire Trevena is, what are you doing? Yeah. Are, are you hearing us? Are you taking our concerns to Victoria? Where is the government? Why don't we know what's going on? Why aren't you up here? And she just got the smack laid down on her. And I guess credit where credit's due for her even going into this room when it should have been Forest Minister Doug Donaldson and Parliamentary Secretary Ravi Kalon. But that seemed to light a fire down here with the coverage, the embarrassment of the NDP government. And it has shone a light on both the NDP's forest policies and its total inaction to solve a five-month strike yeah. involving 3,000 members of the union, the steelworkers, who were the single biggest donor to the NDP in the last election. They funded even the campaign manager's salary. Of course, they can't do that anymore, right? It's no, illegal under the new rules. But it, but you know, it's it just amazing. Shows how it, do you how do you break that down in your mind, Smitty? Like, what do you think's going on? Well, there? what I think is that it's going to be an extremely bleak Christmas on the mid North Island for a lot of these families. I mean, that's extraordinary when you think about it. Three thousand people out of work for going on to, as you said, five months, going on to six months now, and that is pretty sad and pretty brutal. And when you think about these, the almost transit strikes that we ha had in Vancouver, we just averted a SkyTrain strike in Vancouver. And a couple of weeks ago, we had an almost bus strike. That seems to get more attention than this actual six-month-long strike with 3,000 people out of work. So I think in some ways they feel forgotten. And I think maybe rightly so. Um, Claire Trevena has been the MLA up in that riding for a long time. It's pretty solid NDP seat. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's hard to imagine the Liberals taking that seat because she's won it four or five times in a row, and the NDP seemed to do really well there. But I, I wonder if the Liberals are looking like, are some of these seats now becoming vulnerable because of this uh, downturn in the forest industry and the perception that the government's forgotten them? So, you know, I, I think they, they're right to feel the way they feel. And it, it's a strike that it seems on the surface solvable, though. I mean, if, if you just take a look at some of the, the wage demands, they, the, the two sides are not far apart on wages. No. But it's more like some of the working conditions that you've written about, right? Yeah, there's, a, there's some issue with shift scheduling. Yeah. And the company, like Western Forest Products, wants to use what are called alternate shifts, where depending on the demand and the workload, people come in for instead of eight hours, 10 hours, or they, they don't get consecutive days off. They work four long days and get a couple days and then other days and then get one day. And the union says that's unfair. It's People are falling asleep on the job. These shifts need to be scheduled and routine. The company says, no, we don't want to give the union a veto over how we do our operations. Yeah. That's, and that seems to, and that also bleeds into a drug and alcohol policy that the union says it's unfair. These members are hurting. And now there's like a zero tolerance, a termination drug and alcohol policy. And so, but. So look, what does that mean? If you test positive for losing, cannabis, you lose your job? Yeah. Even when cannabis is legal? Now you think that the two sides could get to some position because they have. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, super champion mediator, Vince Reddy. The best guy. The best guy in the province. Yeah. He solved the teacher strikes in the past. Yeah. He's at the table. But 
Um, no. Now, there are some more negotiations going on on Thursday, I think. That's good. I think because the Premier's office, deeply oh. embarrassed by this. Yeah. And the reason that they're embarrassed is because John Horgan as Premier likes to tout himself as a He's man. a worker who, guy, who right? a worker guy who yeah. knows the forestry sector. He worked in a, in a mill on the island when he was younger. He understands. In the last election, he said, I have a plan for forestry. There is no... Uh, proof so far in the NDP's early mandate that A, the government has a plan, or B, that it's working. But I think that the Premier would be deeply embarrassed to watch the entire uh, north half of Vancouver Island sink economically into a crisis under his watch. Yeah. And to make even matters even worse, the government's $69 million forestry aid package, which we have talked about in the past, which was a repurposing of the rural dividend fund, is only eligible for interior forestry workers. Oh. So if you're in Claire Trevena's riding and you've lost your job, you can't access the only government aid package that exists. And that's a double salt uh, in the wound of the, some of the New Democrat supporters. The good news is that, as you said, they're still talking. They've got the best, most experienced mediators still trying to help them. And on the surface, it seems like a solvable dispute, uh, just looking at it from the outside. If you take a look at the money demands, right? So the Steelworkers Union at seeking a four-year contract with 3% wage hikes in the first two years, 2.5% in the last two years. And the company is offering 2% uh, wage hikes and a $2,000 signing bonus. I mean, you know, on money, they don't seem that far apart. And when you got the best mediator in the room, that's helpful. But I think maybe the thing that drives a potential deal here, hopefully, maybe, is the political engagement on it now. And I think you're right. I think the that YouTube video sparked a little bit of a fire. I think there's been heightened media awareness and coverage of it. There's a big rally, as we're recording this today, there's a big rally on the front lawn of the BC legislature today with a lot of unhappy, out-of-work people putting pressure on the government. I think this is all kind of coming together to put some focus now at the very top in the premier's office and maybe that drives something i hope because i, I feel you got to feel for people who've been out of work that long you do and if you want to if you want to support uh some folks who are uh, in the forestry sector they're rallying toy drives uh to help put some uh you know presents underneath what was the that trees loonies there's for, a loonies for loggers website loonies for loggers i love the name that's great yeah and they're they're collecting donations as well and we should uh, also give a shout out to a fan of the podcast uh port mcneil mayor gabby wickstrom who she's, i talked to she's done a great job she is out there uh digging up uh coverage and wider uh public awareness of what's going on in her community of port mcneil yeah. and uh I talked to her this week. She's a fan of the podcast, so we wanted to say hello to her. Thanks for helping us out, and uh, thanks for representing your community so well as it yep. goes through some difficult times. I don't. We will come back to this issue, I think, in uh, the next little segment here on on the idea of elections and politics and and where we are at, because I think it I think it begins to change some of the dynamics of how you view the NDP's positioning in the next election. So we'll come back to that. We'll, we will uh, kind of put it all together, I think. But the next item we were going to talk about, Smitty, is an announcement from the NDP government, Premier John Horgan, and Health Minister Adrian Dix for a new hospital in Surrey, which, once again, is the epicenter of the power base of the NDP government, Surrey. And here they are with a brand new hospital, what do you make of this? And this is a project that's so nice, they announce it twice. <laughs> and they'll probably announce it many more times. In fact, probably it's been more than twice. 
So we've seen multiple announcements on this project, but what we've seen in the last few days was the news here is the location of this new hospital in Surrey, which is badly needed, by the way, because Surrey is a big city, rapidly growing. They've only got one hospital, so they really do need another hospital, and the NDP has promised to build one. So it would be built in Cloverdale at 55th Avenue and 106th, uh, 108th Street, and it's on land owned by the province. It would be the second hospital in Surrey. The other one is the uh, Surrey Memorial Hospital. So... You know, this is obviously a positive uh, uh, announcement for the government, and it was kind of all hands on deck for it, for this uh, location announcement this week. So you had Premier John Horgan, Health Minister Adrian Dix, a whole ton of all the NDP MLAs from Surrey Mm -hmm. were there cheering this on, rah, rah, rah. Now, when you start getting down to the nitty-gritty and some of the details of it, though, like, when would this thing be built? When would it be in operation? Well, you know, we don't really know that much about it yet. Maybe to be 2021, might be 2022. We're not sure, you know, but we know where we're going to build it. We're not sure where exactly when. How much is it going to cost? Um, somewhere between $1 billion and $2 billion. <laughs> That's quite a margin so, of error I mean, there. That's a big, yeah, that's a big uh, gap. So a lot of the details obviously missing, but the government clearly wants to get this in the public's mind that your hospital is coming here in Surrey and the NDP are going to build it for you. Now, that to me gets into this thing about election timing, which is intriguing to me. Now, under the fixed election date law that we have in BC, the next scheduled election is in October of 2021. Yeah. Now, which is six months Later, the, the Democrats right. changed the law and gave themselves six extra months. We used to have elections in May. In the spring. And the rationale for going to a fall scheduled election was in order to have a budget uh, that's presented in the spring and um, and you can get some uh, uh, quarterly re- fiscal reports to see if the budget was really true and if they're actually meeting some of their budget targets. That was kind of the rationale for going in the, in the fall. Here's the thing, though. Even though we got this scheduled election law, you still have the prerogative as the premier to uh, go early and Horgan can go to the lieutenant governor and ask for an election pretty much Maybe. At, at any time, right? And it doesn't mean the lieutenant governor has to say yes to no, it, that's right. but historically and typically, if, if he goes and asks for one, t- usually, usually you would get it. Now, here's the thing. Could the NDP call an election in the new year? We talked briefly about this in the last podcast. And there's a couple of windows there. If he if he does decide to do that, does he go in the spring of 2020? Or maybe he goes in the fall of 2020? Now, you might be saying to yourself, why would he do this? This is crazy. He can be premier for another two years. Why would he roll the dice on an election? The reasons would be the economy is doing okay, but there's some storm clouds on the horizon. And you might not ever get a better opportunity. The Liberals have got a weak leader in the in the minds of some people and Andrew Wilkinson. And the Green Party is in transition. Andrew Weaver is stepping down as leader. And they're going to be in this inter interregnum period where they have where they're not going to have a little a, a permanent leader for a while. We talked about the green leadership on the podcast last week. The interesting thing there is Weaver's stepping down in January as the Green Party leader, and then they're going to select a new leader in June. Now, would Horgan have the jam to call an election while the Green Party doesn't have a permanent leader. They would have like an interim leader. 
that would seem a little dirty, dirty pool, you know, and that might backlash on him if he did that. So I think that's the biggest factor against a spring election. But you never know. Like I had somebody say to me the other day, oh, it would just be a one day story. You know, <laughs> the, the, the Green Party would whine about it and there'd be a couple of news stories for maybe one or two days and then it'd be over. And then people would be concentrating the election campaign. That's the important thing. So not ruling out a spring election. Maybe though, a fall election is more likely. But I, I just mentioned this election kind of speculation that's kind of percolating a little bit out there in the context of this Surrey announcement on this hospital. Because when I saw this hospital announcement laid out, I thought, oh man, that looks like staging for an election to come. Mm -hmm. Because uh, obviously Surrey, those seats are crucial in, in any election, those Surrey seats. And they need, to, they need to keep all those seats they got in Surrey. There's a couple problems in my mind on that that idea the new democrats i'm sure there's a ton of them who think this would be a great time to get an election and get a majority but one is that premier john horgan has spent all his time including recently talking about how this parliament works it's working great partnership with the greens are working we're getting things done we're debating bills we're passing amendments and now he plans to reverse that messaging in the span of just a couple of months to say this place isn't working at all we got to go back the to thing. the polls yeah and that doesn't make any sense the second thing yeah. is and i i said this at the end of last year's podcast and we we're predicting the year ahead and I said this year you're gonna see some issue percolate up in the background that the NDP could to jump upon for an election some sort of yep. little wedge issue like the renters rebate never happened so hey, I was wrong big surprise there we'll get to that <laughs> we'll get to that in the new year when we review our last year predictions but without some undercurrent of what the NDP wants to do whether it's a rebate or a housing plan or a childcare plan that the Greens won't support then this crisis comes from nowhere that sparks an election. And, and, and what issue is it on? That's the thing, yeah. But you know, that's one of the, the, the factors that's being, at my understanding, is, is this is the type of stuff that's being debated in the back rooms. And here's the, here's the like, other... Like, you know, if can we sell this to, an, to the voters? Because voters typically don't want an early election. No, and they just had a federal election. Right. So, you know, if you did go to a snap election, how do you sell it? Like, what's the excuse for it or the rationale? That's one of the reasons, though, I think they're looking for one. I mean, I think they're, they're always on the lookout for any kind of wedge. One of them that came up recently was the uh, another tax that the NDP brought in was the uh, health employers tax, which replaced medical services plan premiums. And we've seen Andrew Wilkinson, the liberal leader, be very aggressive in attacking this new health employer tax, very unpopular with medium and big business that got to pay it. And... The NDP, are, it, it's interesting, they're kind of putting pressure on him to remind voters that that tax, although some people don't like it, replaced medical services plan premiums and putting, putting the boots to Wilkinson saying, wait a second, are you saying you'd bring back medical services plan premiums? Because MSP is gone in January. Right. And Horgan just did a big news conference about that the other day where he had a bunch of his cabinet ministers with him and he had a an, a real family with him, like an actual family, like with a child. And they were all like praising Horgan. Thank you for getting rid of the MSP. It was terrible when we had to pay it under the liberals. And Horgan did a little photo op with a kid. And I'm like, you know, this is starting to smell a little election-y well, to me. I think the and maybe that would be the wedge because then they would say, we are gonna run a campaign 
to not bring back MSP, and maybe this guy Wilkinson's well, got a secret plan to bring it back. Their last election campaign in 2017, the NDP said they'd get rid of MSP and couldn't tell anyone how they would pay for it until <laughs> after the election. So yeah. I guess if you want to run the inverse of that, the yeah. the you know bizarro Superman version of that campaign, then all right, go ahead and put a mirror in front of your face and run the opposite. But yeah, the opposite. Look, the hubris of some New Democrats who think that an election call right now would win them an easy majority, I think needs to be rationalized, and this is where we're going to pull Claire Trevena back in, with the idea that some rural, hard hat wearing, hard working, unionized, natural resource people in British Columbia who have long thought of the New Democrat as the working people's party are now looking at the New Democrats and seeing back, reflected to them, a latte sipping urban Metro Vancouver party worried about Uber and Lyft, Metro Vancouver transit issues, electric vehicles, and that type of thing. And I think you know, you see this tension in Claire Trevena's riding in the North Island, where her constituents in that video, some of which said, you know what, why we've supported you for a long time. Why would we help reelect you now? Mm-hmm. And in ridings like that, safe New Democrat ridings, the, the, on, the only way the NDP could win a majority government is to hold... It's current 41 seats, yes, including riding, ridings like Claire Trevena, and win at least another four ridings. Where are they going to win another four ridings? Are they going to duke out in a close quarters <clears throat> knife fight in Metro Vancouver to try and squeeze away one riding here and there? They're going to be lucky to hang on to ridings like the two Maple Ridges in Metro Vancouver and some which yeah. have traditionally not won. And North the Shore. O- the other thing is... If the goal of the NDP was a majority government... That's what it is. And the goal was to... That's the only reason to call a snap election. No, the goal was to win another number of seats. You can only win them in ridings in the rural parts or semi-rural parts of British Columbia, in which the New Democrats have offered virtually nothing in the two and a half years of their first government to those communities. They've, they've pretty, we constantly talk about how they've ignored rural British Columbia because they don't quite understand what to do. Combined with forestry policies, which are tanking, maybe they pick up some LNG support for bringing the LNG project over the finish line in a riding like Skeena. But here's the thing, the New Democrats did not win the last election. And there are some New Democrats in government now with the trappings of office, their fancy business cards that feel like they're in power because the voters put them there, and they did not. And no, that's that right, is Christy the, Clark won the election, didn't she? That is a... Like, <laughs> someone needs to go around hitting New Democrats in the back of the head with a shovel to remind them of this, because how, with ridings like Claire Trevena's under siege, how do they envision winning four new ridings and holding their well, existing ridings? Let me, well, let's take a look at Claire Trevena's riding, which I just looked up, and in the last election, she got... 47% of the vote. The liberal candidate there got 35%. She has won that five times in a row. So, I mean, the liberal or but the NDP may be calculating, okay, we're in some trouble on this forest strike up there, but man. But those are four, four term, 14 years of an opposition Claire Trevena complaining about everything the liberal government did and promising to do it better. I know. Now but she's in the government yeah. and 3,000 of her constituents are out of work. Yes. And she can't offer them a single argument other than I'll take your concerns down to Victoria. Unless they get it, unless they end the strike and there may be an effort right now out of the highest office in the province and the premier's office to get, get an end to this strike. And then they might be also, and by the way, I think you just 
outlined a fantastic argument against a snap election call. The argument in, f in favor of it is the reason you might go early is it's not going to get any better. That's true. Yeah. And if the economy starts to turn, which there are some indications that it might, let's say the bu the budget blows up mm -hmm. and suddenly they got a balanced budget right now. Suddenly they got to bring in some uh, a big deficit or something that gives the liberals a talking point. Uh, maybe a Green Party leader, a new Green Party leader comes on and gets on a little bit of a roll and starts to attract a little bit of support and splits some of the vote. The argument is it's not going to get any better if you wait. So the only way we're going to get a majority is we got to go now, now. And that's kind of the argument that's going on and behind the scenes. It's tough because you're right. The next two years for the NDP budget-wise are going to be very difficult. And right. I, I wrote a column a few weeks ago talking about how is this a government, does the NDP want to continue to try and nickel and dime and find every penny in the couch cushions to hold on to this balanced budget? And if they do, are they going to spend the next two years telling all their supporters, well, maybe the teachers, all the social groups, no, we can't give you any more funding for any of your promises. And then they just tick a bunch of people off in their base and then go to the polls two years from now and and have a bunch of kind of lukewarm supporters going, man, you guys sucked for that's the last the two fear. years. That's the fear. That's the fear. And especially if the economy starts to go bad ooh that's not good and I don't know some uh, who knows some um, unforeseen scandal or problem arises as well Horgan skated through the, this this two years here in pretty good shape yeah there hasn't been a lot of problems I mean there's been a there's a special prosecutor investigating Ginny Sims she had to step down as a cabinet minister but there hasn't been a lot of whole lot of other major scandals or anything like that so that's another argument that you know hey you know we've had a bit of a charmed life here for two years so maybe this is the opportunity to go to go early. I think the teachers is another one. Like, what if there's a brutal teacher strike or something? So I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be, I mean, you will learn a lot from the NDP uh, in the next couple of months. Yeah. As we watch this tension play out behind the scenes from those who, who do believe that it's time to do this and those who believe, you know, maybe we should see this thing out. I don't think John Horgan himself is super keen I think is it uh, some senior advisors are keen on the idea of an election, but there John Morgan is is been pretty clear when he talks to us of like yeah you know that's I I would need I would need something to talk about to do an election. And He's I, the guy you got to convince, and I think he may be being pulled both ways on it. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that, yeah. uh, and uh, we will be back talking to you about BC politics. Make sure you're reading Mike Smith in the province, myself in the Sun, and subscribing to the podcast. You get the latest episodes uh, alerts when they come in. And uh, we will be back uh, talking to you later. See you then.